Good evening and welcome to Pop Culture Double Date. Pop Culture Double Date was on a massive hiatus. We didn't really know what to watch, but we're back and we're doing a bit of an odd episode. We're going to talk about the first eight question mark episodes yep, of House of the eight. Dragon. First eight. Um, I'm joined by Jerry, who just said hello then. Jerry, say hello again. <laughs> hello again. Uh, Mags, say hello. Hi. <laughs> and, of course, Anija. Hello. So, yeah, um, we're going to talk about House of the Dragon. Now, I think part of the reason we didn't do House of the Dragon was initially, I think, Anija had floated that we should watch this show and talk about it. And I poo-pooed it because... Um, I was so cut up about the ending of Game of Thrones, I had no intention of watching this show. I was so wary about this show. I was so wary about George R. R. Martin like series that I was like, nah, I don't want to watch it. I've already had my heart broken. I can't do this again. And in fact, like I've you know, it was I wasn't even gonna watch this show. And um, somehow I started watching it, and I mean, <laughs> I won't lie, I'm, like, it, it really kind of sucked me in, <laughs> which is kind of why, I mean, it sucked me in, and to a certain extent, I have to imagine it sucked everyone else here in as well, which is why we're talking about it, so... Even though I definitely embarrassed myself last time we talked about Game of Thrones, um, it's one of the horrible things about putting your conversations out to the wild. It's recorded that I enjoyed Game of Thrones pretty much up to the second or third last episode. Um, And it's embarrassing for me now (laughs) that that is recorded for all posterity. But... um, Oh, no, Daz, I think the, the embarrassing thing is that you, you, you actually liked um, Westworld for a whole lot longer than, uh, than you should have. That's the real embarrassment. Well, you know, like, all of this is for posterity, and now we're about to hop on that train again, and, um, yeah, we're going to talk about House of the Dragon, so hopefully I don't get my heart broken again. Um, yeah, so... Let's, why don't we start off and go around and, like, is this, is this better than Game of Thrones? Do you guys like it, first of all, right? Is this, do you think it's better than Game of Thrones? Do you think it's going to end better in game than Game of Thrones? What, what are your impressions on this series? Who wants to go first? Jerry? I feel like it's or not Anna- actually something we should, yeah, I feel like it's not something we can appropriately compare to Game of Thrones, even though it's in the same universe, because um, Game of Thrones had, like, characters you could morally root for. It had the clear good guys and the clear bad guys, uh, which is very different to, I think, what we've got here, where everybody, you can... Everybody's right from their perspective. Everybody's kind of wrong. Everybody's morally grey. And I don't think there's a clear set of people to root for even though i think the show is trying to trying to guide us in that direction um a little bit more now but it's just 
I don't think it's there for the taking. Mm. So there's that. There's also the fact that one season in, it seems like we're rushing through a lot of story and I think it will slow down. But at the moment, the pacing is really rushed, whereas pacing in Game of Thrones never felt particularly rushed Mm. to me. The final Um, season was like... (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. The the final season, yeah, you're right, you're right. I I keep thinking Game of Thrones is everything but the final season. So, like, I've just cancelled that out in my head. Game of Thrones is a forever unfinished story in my mind. So, um, but... (laughs) Um... The other thing is, like, Game of Thrones felt like it was about a world, and this feels like it's about a family. So I don't know that it's that comparable. So instead of saying whether I think it's better or worse, I'll just say I really enjoy it, and I think it's uh, a lot of fun to watch. It's exciting. Um, it's gripping, all in itself. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with that. Jerry, Mags? Jerry, you want to go... Next, yeah, yeah. Look, I like I like the show. I like it a lot. Um, I wasn't I wasn't expecting to precisely because the last season of Game of Thrones was so rubbish. But um, pretty quickly, I think um, this show um, got off to a pretty uh, confident and intriguing start. And whilst the characters are all flawed and there's no one to root for, I think there are nonetheless characters with whom. Um, any audience member can feel a degree of empathy, if not um, sympathy, um, on on both sides of what is going to be the green-red divide. So, uh, look, I, I think um, this show feels more insular than, than Game of Thrones at its most expansive. As Anna just pointed out, Game of Thrones uh, devoted a lot of space and time to world-building, and not just establishing the rules of the universe, but also... Um, taking us into the lives of characters who didn't belong to a confined um, socioeconomic set, wasn't confined to a particular bloodline. This feels a lot more intimate. It's more like a, you know, this feels more like a chamber drama than, than Game of Thrones did. Game of Thrones certainly had a greater scope. Um, but I think that is actually probably a good thing for this show, hopefully, because it means there's less fat, there's less, there are fewer threads to have to tie up as the show speeds towards a conclusion in two, three, four seasons' time. And um, do you think this is going to really last two, three, four seasons? I, I, I can't even see it going like at the rate they're going, like burning through the book material. I can't see them going like two seasons. <laughs> look, I think I think there's actually. I, I haven't read the book. I, I don't. I'm only guessing, given that the book professes to be this sort of big fat story of the rise and fall of the Targaryens, and that this is only a sliver of that story, uh, but a particularly important. Um, part of it because it, it, it is the story of the Targaryen family at war with itself. I actually think, I imagine there's going to be a fair amount of um, material. I think, you know, at least we have a completely plotted story, unlike the sort of improvisation that occurred at the end of Game of Thrones, which ended as glorified and not very well done fan fiction. Yes. I don't think we're going to, we're going to encounter that difficulty here. Yeah. And so, given that there's there's that there's that work in, in its favour. There's the fact that it is a, at, at, at least at present a, a more confined set of series of plot threads that that are woven together. 
Um, I have hope that this is eventually going to uh, batch, if not exceed, Game of Thrones at its finest. Mm, mm. Yeah, look, I I, I, I agree with... I, I think I agree with both Jerry and Anja here, right? Like, I find it... What I find interesting about this series is that in some ways... Um, we like this series is set in a time when magic is technically in the air, right? Because there's dragons flying around, so it's technically supposed to be more high fantasy than Game of Thrones. But actually, the story itself is very low fantasy. Like the dragons are essentially window dressers. The dragons are absolutely purely a like. A, a political tool, right? It's basically like the Targaryen family owns nuclear weapons, and only they are the ones who are allowed to use those nuclear weapons. Um, and so, it's the dragons are a geopolitical tool rather than a high fantasy. Oh my God, look at these wondrous beasts, sort of thing, right? I find it, I find, find that really interesting, actually. Like it's, it, like it kind of, in some ways, it's like a weird subversion. Where you know the setting should be high, but it it really is purely about that sort of core family drama, which I think is done yeah. very well. Yeah. Yeah, and because because it's so confined, and because it is kind of a family drama, it also means that like very stu- very very sort of weird or quirky or silly stuff can can trigger massive events. So I think it's been pointed out that you basically had, you know, one of the great sitcom tropes is a scene in which two characters are talking about different things, but think they're talking about the same thing. Yeah. And we've seen that twice with Kristen Cole and Alison and the fessing up to sleeping with uh, yeah. Rhaenyra. And we saw it at the very end of the, this, this most recent episode where, yeah. um, Viserys is talking about Aegon the Conqueror and Alison thinks he's talking about Aegon, their son. The son and, who's like a complete flake. Complete right? dude. <laughs> he's like, and, what? <laughs> But the thing is, like, I, I, a lot of people have said this is this is absurd. This is like incorporating into um, sitcom, incorporating sitcom tropes into what should be a very serious drama. But I think, look, families break apart for very stupid reasons, yeah. and so it just it kind of it kind of rings true that that stuff as dumb as this would happen amongst a family of like pretty wretched people. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I think it definitely rings true. Mags, what are your thoughts on House of the Dragon? Are you on the House of the Dragon bus like everyone else here, it seems? <laughs> well, look, I um, was originally not going to watch the TV series at all, and I think it was because I had watched the first couple of episodes of the new Lord of the Rings TV series, and it really... Um, it, it, it really disappointed me. So I, I think I didn't want to be disappointed by House of the Dragon as well. Um, but you convinced me to watch it. Yes, it was me. Yes, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes, I put that on record. Um, and I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, I absolutely agree. Um, it is a family drama. I love how character-driven and relationship-driven the storyline is. Um, and... Um, I think it's one of those shows where with each episode you get deeper and deeper into understanding the kind of um, undercurrents of of the family, but not just the Targaryens, the different aspects of or, or sort of sub, um, sub-relationships that exist within that family. Um, one thing that I found I'm still sort of working through and have found a bit disconcerting is the change in time between the different episodes and with that, the change in 
in the actors um, playing um, the two main female characters, yet most of the male characters have remained the same actors. So I've, I've found that a little bit um, challenging to transition to, but at the moment I think it's all incredibly well cast. I love Otto Hightower. He's one of my favourite characters. Um, and I'm also loving the kind of tension and the messiness in the change to Alicent and also Princess Rhaenyra um, within themselves, but also the struggles that they're going through as female characters in this universe. I find that really interesting. So I think so far it's been very well done. Yeah, you've you've touched on a few things there, Mags, that I, I think are probably worthy of exploring. Like, I think there is some a conversation to be had about whether the time jumps and the changes in actors work, right? So there's definitely something there. And I think the other thing that you've kind of touched on is um, how... And it's something that I actually really love about this series, um, how seemingly inconsequential characters will... Or, like, characters that you think are just sort of side characters... Even if, like, the show will spend kind of enough time on a bunch of these characters to actually give them some sort of depth and, like, humanity. Like, even if they're doing things that are not necessarily, like, heroic or, you know, like, you kind of, you the show goes out of its way to help you understand their perspective, um, which I think is, like, really interesting. And, you know, Anaja was saying earlier that, like, in some ways this series is very different from Game of Thrones. And I think this is actually one of the core differences because, like, as Anaja said, there's no villains or heroes, really. There's just a bunch of people in a really messy sort of situation. I, I think about all of these... Like, there are so many characters in this. There's so many characters, right? And I think it's a real testament to the writing that, like with the huge number of characters we have, pretty much... I, I was actually reflecting on this. The only character that I think hasn't really been properly explored is probably the Littlefinger analogue. You know, the... Yeah, Lara uh, Strong. Lara Strong. Yeah. I feel like Lara Strong is probably the only guy who is, like, straight up just a... Like, he just seems like a horrible douchebag, right? You, you don't fully understand his motivations. Like, I mean, I think about it, like, characters like Corlys Valerian, like Lenor, Lena, all of these characters kind of have their little character moments, you kind of, and, and then you kind of, like, understand why they act in the way they act. Like, I mean, I couldn't believe, like, the previous, I think, episode seven, like, the whole, like, talking about Corlys Valerian and his, like, motivations and why it is that he's willing to accept people that are, like, you know, his... His his children, the who like his grandchildren, who are clearly like not of his blood. I thought that was like an amazing little character moment, and it not only developed him, but it developed Rainus. It was just like all of these sort of minor characters kind of get their little like moment in the sun. I, I think it's it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. Um, do you guys kind of do you guys agree with that? Do you do you like Laris? Um, <laughs> Laris, what's his face? Strong. He's a strong, right? He's a strong. Laris, Laris yeah. is a strong. Yeah. Um, yeah, like... I, I, I mean, I can accept that in this world there are always, like, people who are not born into power. So I yeah. think that was Littlefinger's problem and, and motivation. He just didn't... He wasn't born into it and he kind of coveted it 
because he saw what that power could um, bring him. Like he was, you know, one of the things in his past was that he was in love with Catelyn Stark and he was never going to have her because he just didn't have that, you know, he didn't have the titles, he didn't have mm. the sort of place in society. Um, and they do talk a little bit about little brother syndrome and how in this world, if you're the younger brother, you don't inherit, you don't get the titles, you don't get the lands, you don't, you, you just... You, you don't get what the eldest gets just because of the position you were born in. So you know that he's the younger brother, but you're right. You don't get any of the details of why, of what's happened in his family that has allowed him to murder his brother and his um, father, um, you know, just to please Alison and ingratiate himself with her. So it's, it seems like a very extreme thing to do when you've been given absolutely no context about their mm. relationship. Um, I can kind of, I can accept that he's just the cartoon character bad guy because most of these characters are better fleshed out. Um, it, it is tough though because he does go to such extremes and it would be good to know like what's happened, you know, in his past, what's the backstory. Yeah. Yeah, I think about, like, when I first started, like, in the first few episodes, I thought Otto Hightower was going to be that character, right? I thought Otto would be your, your like, El Clasico villainous vizier sort of style character, right? But he's, like, you know, what I love about the show is that they do that conversation that he has with Alicent, when he basically, like, says to her that, you know, they play this super high-stakes game here, and, you know, you can want to be humane and um, sort of, like, not put your enemies to the sword, but, you know, you're, <laughs> you're playing a game which is deadly, and your children are potentially going to get caught up in that. <laughs> and so you, you have to play, like, you have to actually treat this really, really seriously. And it kind of made me, um, yeah, I was like, okay, so all of a sudden, Otto Tytower isn't actually just a classic two-bit um, villain who's who just looks out for himself, right? And if, look, I mean, to his credit, I don't think Otto Tytower ever was just a classic two-bit villain that only looked after his own interests. I mean, he did. I think it's kind of implied that he does kind of look out for himself, but all of these characters, none of them are like these cardboard cutouts. All of them have, you know, their selfish aspects, their deficiencies, but all of them also have some aspect of, like, nobility or, um, like, character strengths that you kind of can admire, right? Which I, I think is like a, a really, like, a really great aspect of this show. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I, mean, I think Damon Targaryen's actually a really good illustration of, right? Because he's so, he's so flawed because he's unhinged in many ways, but yet you see the bond he has with his brother, Viserys, and how much he actually does want to protect him and be his brother. Um, and he's sort of fighting against, you know, his own, his desire to just be himself, which can't be accepted um, in court. It's just not the type of role he can play. Um, and so he acts out. But at the same time, like, I love that scene from the last episode where Viserys is struggling to, you know, ascend, to sit on the Iron Throne. Um, and then it's Damon who actually helps him um, up to sit on the throne and puts the crown on his head. 
Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a very moving scene. I genuinely felt that was a moving scene, right? Especially, like, throughout this series, like, you know, to be honest, none of the target, like, as in Viserys' family, like, the core family anyway, well, I guess, like, Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra, Damon, Viserys, it's all, it's very clear that they love each other, but, like, they have these situations that kind of put, like, put the family at odds with each other and then their individual personalities kind of exacerbate some of these situations into like sort of like full out all out sort of um scandals or you know just make it untenable essentially right because of their individual personality quirks and traits which is you know what actually i think like is one of the key drivers of the show where it's kind of like, it's this tragedy in some ways, because it's like, it all could have actually turned out decently, but the fact is that it couldn't, like, as in, what prevents them is the fact that their family drama is being played out on this grand stage, right, that doesn't afford them the ability to be, like, um, I guess, compassionate with each other in some ways, right? Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's really tragic. But yeah, I agree. Like, Damon is a super complex character. And um, yeah, like, I, I think, I mean, it is odd that he hasn't aged in however many years, but uh, I think Matt Smith is amazing as Damon, honestly. Like, I would, it, say, I would say he's slimmed down, Darren, since the first few episodes. <laughs> you know, okay, okay. Look, I, I'm going to fess up to this, right? The first episode, I thought Damon looked fat, right? But in subsequent episodes, I think he has slimmed down. I don't know what happened. I think, I don't know if they filmed things out of order or like he's, yeah, but I don't think he's as fat as he was in the first episode. It looks really weird because I think he looks younger 16 years down the line than he did on day one. I know, Anacho, I know you are a huge Damon fan, so what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that are fat, slim, <laughs> short, tall, he's hot, it's his personality, it is that uh, that lounging with his body that he does, you know, against the walls, against chairs, lounging. It is the looking down, like the side eye looking down when he flirts is the half smile. He, I don't really care if he's fat, slim, short, whatever. I think he's hot. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, so do you like him because he's a bad boy? As in he, like, he flaunts, like, his sort of, um, that he's like a rebel against the, well... Rebellious. So I think that, I, I think the bad boy trope is is the ultimate sort of uh, power fantasy for like women. It's this idea that this guy who is so destructive and so powerful and so unpredictable and so dangerous is under the control of the woman he falls for, who you know isn't any of those things, um, and yet like becomes even more than those things because she is, you know, the, 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 the final master of that guy. I think that's the fantasy, right? Do I think it's alluring? It is totally alluring. Like, I also know that it's wrong. And in real life, <laughs> would I want to marry Damon? Absolutely not. <laughs> but, you know, if we're going to stay in the fantasy world, it definitely has its charm and I could definitely fall for it in a fantasy sense. 
Can I put my hand up here and say and put and uh, put in a good word for Viserys Targaryen? Yes. Because like, <laughs> the, the the internet has been giving him a lot of shit. He's a weak king. He's just he's falling apart. What a deadbeat! I actually think he is. Actually, he's actually my favorite character of the show. I think yeah. Paddy Considine's performance as Viserys is amazing. Like Paddy Considine's got to do with his character. That is that is the act. I agree that the actor does an amazing job. Nothing to do with his character, though. M- maybe not. But like Considine has this amazing face where you just feel like, he's got this. I don't know what it is about him, but you just look at him and kind of feel sorry for him. I mean, the first time I saw Paddy Considine was in the. Born supremacy, where um, he's 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 the guy. No, the born ultimatum, where he's the guy who he's the guardian journalist who gets killed in the first twenty minutes, and he's so pathetic and kind of hopeless. And he's kind of yes, he is kind of pathetic and, and hopeless here. But at the same time, he's not he's not complete. He's not a, he's not a complete shit. He's this sort of he's he's rare in the world, in the sort of Game of Thrones universe because. He's done. He did something absolutely horrible. Made an absolutely appalling and wrong decision in the very first episode concerning um, concerning um, you know Amaranth Caesarian. But taking a step back, uh, you know, the ga- Game of Thrones established for us that the Targaryens were just mad, bad, and dangerous to know. And ultimately, despite all the hopes that were invested in Daenerys as a character, and despite you know, sort of parents for five years naming their daughters Khaleesi, it turns out that she <laughs> inherited every bit the madness gene from her father that, that the people feared. And, and Jerry, as you said, the last season was fan fiction, right? Like, yeah. yeah that but, <laughs> whereas Viserys, for all his, he's, he's, not, he's not a bad boy, he's just kind of a, he is strangely, in his own way, unique as a kind of well-meaning Targaryen. Um He's, he's a, he's, he, he disdains the use of dragons. He wants to avoid conflict and keep the kingdom at peace. He, he, he is not, he is not up for shows of strength just as displays of machismo. He's, he's actually very, very different from the, the image of the Targaryens that was built up, um, for anyone who had just watched Game of Thrones without equating themselves with the deeper lore or the prehistory, um, leading up to the events of that show. So, uh, he he just seemed like a he seemed like a breath of he actually even though the character on the page is may not be particularly compelling or even all that sympathetic because of that characteristic because of his uniqueness and the way he stood out from the, what we understood the Targaryens to be and because of Paddy Considine's performance I, I think he's a I, he, he was my favorite character of the show and I'm, I think I think I'm going to miss him going forward because um you know I just I just I just like the the the, sto- the show focusing on the story of this guy who who you know at the apex of power but is constantly getting a sh- you know he's he, the world's constantly kicking him and you know to the point where you know he's lost an arm lost an eye has a massive hole in his right cheek and he's doddering and he gives that sort of speech at the dinner party where he says mm. you know end the discord if not for the crown then for this old man who loves you all and i just think to myself this is he's so he's so he, he's actually, in that moment, he, he became far more sympathetic than I think he had any right to be, and yeah. I think it's a it's a, oh it's, a it's a tribute it's a tribute to Constantine's performance that um, that, yeah. that they pulled it off. Yeah, I, 
<laughs> I know. Anager <laughs> is the... Can I be honest? I, Gerald and I are 100% aligned. For me, I, like, Viserys is the best character in this show. And I, I'm going to miss him, right? He's going to definitely have to die. I think the reason why I... For all the reasons that Gerald listed, I like Viserys as well. But I also find that when this show started, episode one, they do this sort of sleight of hand, right? Because Paddy Considine, as an actor, he looks like a background actor, right? Like, as in his face, when you first see him, I, I didn't know him, right? But when I first saw him, I was like, this guy is going to be dead by episode two, right? This guy's gone by episode two, definitely, right? And instead, like, he actually, like, you know, this character starts getting some sort of depth, right? And he's not, like, as in, he makes mistakes, but then he also actively tries to correct those mistakes. And as Jerry says, it feels, you feel sympathy for him because he enacts these plans that on paper kind of, like, would make sense and would keep peace in the realm and to be honest like their plans that are for the good of the realm right they're for the good of like they're to maintain peace they're to maintain stability but then like for whatever reason people around him just like every episode right something goes wrong because <laughs> it's like even though their plan on paper is decent like people around him will just not play ball with him right and I feel so bad for him in some ways because I feel like his his intentions are his intentions are good, right? And also I, I think he's an interesting character because I think he encapsulates this sort of fundamental he, he's I think he's a character that genuinely made me sort of appreciate in the scope of this show anyway, this whole this whole idea that, like, being on the throne requires some degree of sacrifice, right? You always hear that, and sometimes that doesn't really ring true because of the level of privilege and um, that, that comes with that sort of power. But, I mean, his his story kind of actually does show that, it, it like, there is genuine sacrifice there, right? Because he sacrifices the ability, I think, to have a normal family life. Like, by all, by pretty much all measures, he's someone who, if you had taken him out of that um, position as the king, would have probably been a relatively decent human being, right? But he's, like, I mean, the situation that he's placed in is basically he has to make these horrible, horrible decisions, right? That he knows are not necessarily right, but he has to weigh his personal, um, his personal desires against the, like, you know, I guess what, what is good for the realm. Um, and I mean, he makes poor choices, right? I mean, obviously, like, there's this choice of marrying Alicent, which I think was not the right choice. Um, you know, obviously, episode one with Emma, that was absolutely not the right choice, and he regrets that for the rest of his life, clearly. I mean, it's shown that, basically, he, like, he has clear favourites, because Rhaenyra is, like, my interpretation of it is that he plays favourites with Rhaenyra, because Rhaenyra is the last thing that he's got of his, like, first wife, whom he clearly loved dearly, despite making a horrible decision. Um, yeah, so, 
yeah, but anyway, so yeah, I, I find I find him to be an incredibly sympathetic character, and look, I think that the show really like I mean this final episode with him. I mean, I assume he's dead now, right? But, like, this final episode with him, I, I thought it was, like, a pretty fitting send-off. And I do think it it is... Look, I haven't followed a lot of the Twitter conversation on House of the Dragon, but, like, I think it is a bit... It is a bit unfair to just call him, like, a really weak, um, incompetent king, because I, I don't necessarily think that's true. Like, if, if I were to compare him to... I, whenever I watch Viserys in action, I, like... Uh, rightly or wrongly, I keep thinking of, like, historically, like, an emperor like Claudius, like, you know, the Roman Emperor Claudius, right, who is probably not known as being, like, a particularly powerful or, like, um, strong leader, but someone who kind of, like, just kept things relatively in line, right, without being an absolute tyrant, like, you know, he he kind of just was the yeoman-like um, king, right, um, and kind of gets a bad rap as a result of that. So, but I, I don't necessarily think it's that's warranted. Um, yeah, and, he, and he's just a damn sight better than the only other Viserys we've ever met in the Game of Thrones universe. Exactly. I mean, all of these other Targaryens basically are just horrible tyrants, it seems, right? So, and, and what's actually also interesting, actually, is that that generation, Viserys' generation, is actually infinitely sensible because Rhaenys is also part of that generation. And she also comes across as, like, a very sensible person as well. Like, when she gets her screen time, she comes across as someone who's very politically savvy. But, you know, she has that conversation with Corliss where she's she basically says that, you know, you might have ambitions for the throne, but I'm 100% okay not playing that game if it protects my family. Right? <laughs> Which I thought was, like, infinitely sensible, right? I was like, damn. You had this generation of two people who were, like, relatively sensible, and then the generation after that is just... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anija, I know that you're going to give the counterpoint. <laughs> yeah, I really struggle to hear that, guys. Um, okay, in my view... Viserys is one of my favourite characters. I think the actor who played him just did a terrific job. I will miss this character enormously. At the same time, as much as I've enjoyed the character and um, and the actor, I think everything that goes wrong is squarely on him and that he's a weak person, a weak father, a weak king, and just irresponsible to the point where moral blame has to be laid on him and nowhere else, pretty much. Well, I won't say nowhere else, but the bulk of it has to be laid on him. Now, when we started out, I know there was some confusion in terms of the choice that the series made when he ordered his beloved wife to be split and murdered, you know, slit down the stomach and murdered against her wishes as she screamed, begging for it to stop, and he just sat there watching it happen. I know there was some confusion about whether the choice he had was whether was was either to do that and potentially save the baby, or they both die. And I've just gone back to just check what the wording was, and what the maester says to the series is that sometimes you know the father, the husband, the man has to make an impossible choice. And the words are to sacrifice one or to lose them both. So the show does not say 
save the baby or lose them both. It is to sacrifice one, the mother or the baby, or to lose them both. Okay, that is the choice, and he chooses the baby. Now, so first of all, there is no doubt that he could have said, well, you know, under that language, if we accept it, he could have he could have chosen his wife. He just chose the child. Now, why did he choose the child? The only explanation we have is that he knows about uh, Aegon the Conqueror's dream that one day there will be a perilous threat from the north and it has to be a Targaryen on the throne. And it's a, you know, it's a boy. And I think he's seen a vision of his own son wearing Aegon the Conqueror's crown. This, oof. First of all, Aegon the Conqueror was generations ago. He had this dream and still the threat has not come to pass. And as we know, it won't come to pass for generations yet. But, you know, generations have passed since he had this vision. Why would Viserys think that it's going to be his son? That is just pride. That is just, you know, I'm, I wish I was special or if I'm not special, I hope my son's special. That's all that is because there's no reason it has to be his son. Yes, he's had a fleeting dream of his son wearing the Conqueror's crown, but it's him who's put that vision together with Aegon the Conqueror's vision to come up with this theory, you know, and I think this is a theory born of his own pride and ego, and it leads him to make this choice to slaughter his wife as she lays there smiling at him, trusting him, believing that they have a pact that, you know, she's not going to have any more babies because their life together their love is what matters, not these babies, and you know, they've got a daughter that's enough, you know, the realm will be fine. No, she's believing that, she's trusting that, and he makes that choice to just brutally slaughter her. Um, this is, I think, you know, I think we have been way too quick to forgive him for this choice. This is a, a, a terrible choice, right? So I can, can I, can I... To... No, sorry, keep going, yep. Okay, it yeah. speaks to enormous, like, weakness as a husband as a father as a king so i just but that's really the smallest that is the smallest okay okay with mysteries as a king but if you want to make a a point on that before i go on feel free yeah look i i I think that choice comes at the core of his character right because I, i think that you know he he is fully aware that i mean rightly this is not about like whether it's right to have a woman on the throne or a man on the throne or whatever it is, right? It's not about that, right? I, it's it's been shown in this series that basically, um, the the lords of the realm uh, find it difficult to stomach the idea that a like there's been no precedent for a woman being on the throne, right? Which is why he is so desperate to. So look, I, I know that there is the thing about the vision, but my sense is that politically he's desperate for a male heir for stability in the realm, right? And for me, that that lays at the heart of his character, which is, do you put personal um, desire in front of the st- stability of the realm, or do you put the stability of the realm in front of personal desire, right? Um, and my, my reading of it was more that he desperately wanted a son because he knew that if he had a son, like the whole stability of the realm, that would be, we know we'll no longer have that succession issue, right? And I, I don't think there's any evidence for that because he never talks about that. You know, it, it, his motivation seems to be this dream. 
he doesn't say only a man can rule. You know, he he doesn't. It's everyone around him says that. Yeah, but he I mean, I I think it, I like I mean, look, I I read it as that that was that was the way he um because like I I think when he puts Rhaenyra as his heir, he knows that he's going against the grain, right? He knows that he's burning political capital when he does that, right? So and he's fully aware. Like I I think yeah, so anyway, I I anyway, I I think this is probably potentially a difference in the way you know, we've read that situation, but my, like, I, I guess I'm probably being more charitable to him, right? But my reading was that, like, it is that the weighing up personal desire versus the good of the realm, and it's not that a woman could, can't rule the Iron, th- uh, like, sit on the Iron Throne, it's purely that it will, politically, it's more unstable because other people around him may not accept that, Right. Yeah, yeah, I read it as it not being about whether it's a woman or a man, but about Aegon the Conqueror's dream and his belief that it was going to be his son that filled that prophecy. And to me, that's about ego because there's really no reason it had to be his son. It's yeah. been generations since that prophecy. But anyway, the reason I bring this up is because he makes a shitty, shitty, shitty choice. And then he sulks and whines and whinges and feels sorry for himself for the rest of his life when he made that choice out of ego. And I just think when you make a selfish choice where you really hurt a family member, or in this case, just, you know, massacre her, I think you just have to cop that then. You can't then let everybody down, including the realm, because you're so busy, like, you know, feeling sorry for yourself that you made that choice. I think when you make a, a crappy choice like that for your own for your own purposes, rather than that family member's, her, you know, well-being, you're gonna have to cop that and move on with the other stuff that you can do well. You can't then just languish in the guilt of that. You you, you can't. I, I think that's a moral failing. You know, sometimes difficult choices have to be made, and you make the choice the best choice you can. But once you've done that, you cannot dedicate the rest of your life to you know dwelling in that guilt if you do then i think there's a there's a moral issue there so what i think he does is he languishes so much in that guilt that he opts out of ruling the kingdom he opts out of being a king he just doesn't pay any attention to all of the political stuff that's going on and a lot of that stuff deeply affects the people he is ruling over and he just doesn't care so how can you talk about the good of the kingdom when this king doesn't rule? He just doesn't take care of his people. So what is the good of the kingdom then in that context? And when he opts out of ruling, what he allows to happen is he creates a power vacuum that then Otto Hightower and later Alison Hightower fills because he's not doing it. You know, it, it, they fill it, which then sets themselves, allows them that high towers to set themselves up as a real threat and challenge to Rhaenyra, his daughter, the person he supposedly, you know, wants to rule. And we are led to believe could bring like a good rule and good, you know, stability to the kingdom if everyone gets behind her. But they're not going to get behind her if the high towers are in a position of power, actively working against her. And it's the vacuum he leaves, he leaves behind in opting out of rule that gives the high towers as much power, you know, as they have. Second, well, that's, that's the second point. Can the third I, point. I, yeah. Oh, sorry, Anna. Yeah, I was just go, thinking go, 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 go. Um, like, um, how does he opt out of ruling? I think the next poor decision he makes. Because there's like multiple. Makes, 
story. There's multiple scenes where, like, his counsel will bring issues to him that are going on in the realm, and he multiple scenes where he goes, "Ah, oh, can't. That's for another day. Ah, oh, I'm busy. Ah, oh, I don't want to hear about it." Is that true though? Because like, I, feel like I haven't. I don't recall that. I mean, I think so. He, a really, a really obvious example of it is the the crap. The crap, the crap issues. The, the yeah, crap but guy, there are political you know? reasons why he chooses not to act, like do or declare all-out war in that situation, right? Like my so I what think the, the, so. So I think it, I think it's it's really interesting here, right? Because uh, clearly, the I mean, like my reading of that scene is clearly very different from you know. And look, I'm not saying that one one reading is valid, and but. I think it's actually really interesting because in some ways this is kind of like a great, um, it's almost like a microcosm of like history, right? Because like, you know, decisions in history, like in real history can be read in sort of so many different ways, right? But like, um, yeah, like my memory of that, and look, maybe I need to go back and rewatch the scene with, with the crab was that like, you know, the, the situation in the Stepstones was something that Corliss Valarian really wanted resolved, but there were issues with, I think, the free cities or something. Look, I, I don't profess to be an expert in the politics of, like, Westeros, <laughs> southern Westeros, but, like, you know, the, the, my sense was that the, the implication was that, you know, putting, like, actively putting the, the... This was, like, a war that the crown couldn't be seen as partaking in, but if you want to partake in it, the crown won't, like, won't prevent you from doing so, right? So there was, like, a politic, there was, like, some sort of delicate political maneuvering there that had to occur, which is why he didn't overtly commit the crown to that. My recollection is he never makes a considered decision. Um, other people in the council discuss it together and he chooses the option that involves no action every time. And not for necessarily, like I did not get the sense of this is a thoughtful king making good choices for his kingdom. Um, and another sort of example of it is later on when they're talking about the same issue and you've got Alison at the table and you've got Rhaenyra at the table and they're talking about it. It's Alison and Rhaenyra having the discussion. He's just sitting back. He's just, and he's not even sick at this point. Like he's, he's cognitively all there. He's just sitting back, just not really making decisions. And I remember when we, you know, at the beginning episodes, Joe and I just, I can't remember the exact scenes and the exact dialogues and the exact, exact issues that were brought to him. But there were many times where we just kept saying, does he even want to be king? Like, is he even interested? Like he doesn't want to do this. He's just not. You know, he, he, he plainly doesn't, he, he plainly doesn't want to. I mean, there's that moment at the, um, at the at the hunt when um, people come up to him and, and and start trying to win uh, Rhaenyra's hand and he he he, he I, I forget whom he tells I think it's Otto Hightower he just he says I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm sick of all this politicking um, yeah look and and if he had been more interested in ruling the kingdom there is almost no doubt that he would actually have married Lena Valarian. Yeah, so for me, like, I, I think that the mistake that he made... So I, I'm not as hard on him on some of this, like, the sort of small council stuff. I think the second big mistake he made was marrying Alison Hightower. Like, for me, that was... Like, they, 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 like 
the decision with Emma and then marrying Alison Hightower are the things that basically curse him for the rest of his life. Right. That, that, yeah. yeah. I mean, I got a strong sense of him just opting out, like just not yeah. being interested, of just wanting to do as little as possible and being really disinterested, you know, in those in those things, which I think created that space for the mm. Hightowers to sort of rule in his stead. And at, at, at the end, it manifests so clearly that they're even described as being the actual rulers. Um, okay, so the next point, I think he is willfully blind to the dynamics in his family, which makes him a weak patriarch. He just, there are a billion examples of that, you know. Um, he seems to think that, like, the, the, the laughable scene where he's talking about how his grand, his, his sons and his grandsons are all playing together, isn't this wonderful? When these kids, you know, there is a tension there, and that tension is being fueled and stoked, and it eventually builds into, like, a hatred and a, and a fear and a, you know, they're on other different sides, and he's not, He's not aware of that. He doesn't understand Alison, his wife's concerns that, you know, what's going to happen to her sons? You know, like what are Damon and Rhaenyra going to do? What's Rhaenyra going to do? Is there, he doesn't understand this issue. He doesn't understand the conflict between Rhaenyra and Alicent. Um, he, he doesn't understand Damon. He, he, he thinks of Damon as like this problem child when Damon could actually be his biggest ally and his biggest strength as he eventually becomes Rhaenyra's. Damon is just looking to be valued, to be treasured, to be important to the series. And he just completely doesn't understand that, you know? So I think by not understanding, he doesn't understand the dynamics, but sometimes he is willfully blind to them. Like he just cannot see like, the anger and the hatred. And because he willfully won't acknowledge those things, he then can't deal with them. And the, the, the sad reality is he is the only person in that family who could mend that family because he is the only one that they all care about. And he is the only one that is important to all of them and ties them all together, which is why it all goes to shit when he dies. But He's the only one who has that ability, and it's because of his willful blindness and refusal to engage with these issues that, you know, that these these breaches can't be mended, that these relationships can't be healed. Um, yeah, so I think that makes him a weak patriarch as well as a weak king and a weak husband um, and a weak father. So weak father because he just does not do enough to support Rhaenyra. He has insisted that she is going to be his heir. But what does he do other than in that final episode to support her claim? You know, he should have married her to Damon. He should have because that was the most obvious thing to do to really strengthen up, you know, um, her claim. But he should have made her his hand. You know, he knew to make... Rhaenyra, his cupbearer, so that she's in the room where it all happens, like at the beginning, but then later on, like, why is she not his hand? You know, if, if he really saw her as, as ruling, she should have been his hand. And he just doesn't do anything really to support her. So I think he's a weak father in that sense. He is an absent father when it comes to his sons and his daughter via Alicent. And this is such a problem because then those children have nothing but their mother as a guiding hand. They have nothing but the mother and, and Otto as their father figure because he completely opts out of really parenting them to the point where he says 
in that last episode to Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra, my only child. And that's, he just doesn't see them as his children. He doesn't see that family as his family, you know, because he, he is stuck pining and lamenting over, em, over Emma, you know. And that, I think, is a moral failing because you, you chose to kill her. You now have to step up, okay? You cannot pine over that forever to the point where you are destroying other people and you're destroying your family and you're destroying, you know, the Targaryen Empire because you were just absent and all of these people need you to be present and you're refusing, like, to see that. I really think the way he's opted out of fathering his own sons and, you know, his daughter via Alison is a massive moral, like, problem because it's not only, it's a moral problem because he's opted out of parenting them for no because he's busy feeling guilty and for no other reason. But it's also a problem because of the impact it has on the child he does profess to care about, Rhaenyra. You know, it sets them up as enemies when he could have been the one that helped unite them. So that's the other point. Um, yeah, of course, marrying Alison for a little bit of comfort, nuts, right? Nuts. Is this someone who cares about the, the empire? No. This is someone who just wanted a little bit of soothing in, you know, in his time of guilt. Uh, why produce more heirs if you think Rhaenyra is the one? Any male heir you produce is going... You know this. You know this because of how you became king. Any male heir you produce is going to be set up as a threat to Rhaenyra and it's going to create massive family internal conflict. Why go ahead and produce those heirs if you're so in love with Alistair, it, you know, Emma? Like, And you think Rhaenyra is the one. And not only do you think she should rule, you think she is the one. That's what he said to her, you know, that she has the chops to rule and all of that stuff. He says that to her when he tells her about the prophecy. So why create these heirs? You know, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so I think that, you know, Gerald, you pointed out, like, how heartfelt and how sad you felt when he said, you know, come on, I love you all. You know, why can't you just get it together? It just, to me, that scene made me so angry because he doesn't love them all. It is the most annoying, and it's such a very, it's a very, it's a very, I love, I love it because it is such a very real family thing to have a patriarch or to have a figure in your family claim to love everybody. Why can't you just do what I want you to do and get along? When in reality, that person has either treated you know, some of those family members very poorly and not like family or has neglected or whatever and they just can't see that and they're like, oh, I'm the, I'm such a suffering, you know, poor character who just loves you all. Why can't you get along? Like, that's how I read that. You, you the series, have done nothing to help these people get along and if anything, your absence, you know, is, is what, is is the main reason why they, they can't get along and you're sitting there saying, why can't you? It's just so annoying. I found it really, really, really annoying. Mm. <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, you talk about. Sorry, go on. No, no, no. I was just gonna say. I mean, I, I can, I can see how you reach those conclusions, because I think the way that I was looking at it was, Viserys is this kind of. He's the catalyst, right? In in some ways, everything that he did had to happen in order for us to have a House of Dragons TV series. You know, so. <laughs> The, it starts with this tragic figure. I love it. I love everything he does. Like, that's why he's like, like my favorite character because he does the most destruction out of everyone. But like he's he's like this flawed character, and in many ways, the bad decisions that he made, where I read it anyway, was driven by um, a very human, the very human decisions 
they're very yeah. emotional decisions and you know and I think that's what makes him a, a figure that people potentially also um, find accessible because sometimes you make poor decisions that are impulsive and emotional and driven by a need to find comfort or to um, or to scratch your ego because you're a human being and that's just sometimes that that happens yeah. but he he is in a position of authority where every decision he makes has implications and repercussions that are so much greater than a decision you know a, a person in another position would make I think the the high tower point though I think he allows them to come in to the picture when he marries Alicent and when he's not able to really make a strong distinction between Renera as heir and Alicent as queen and then the, the um, their children I think that's the point where um, the high towers are able to start gaining some ground which is I think a really really interesting part of the of the series Look, so I... well before he marries Alison there's a scene where Damon steals um, an egg and he runs mm. off to um, you know to the to the to Dragonstone and um, the series gets up and says, I'm going to get that egg back. And Otto gets up and he says, no, no, sit down. I'll go get that egg back. And to me, like, that's like a, a, a good example of how <laughs> Otto is the one running stuff. You know, he basically mm -hmm. tells the king, you sit down, I'll go get that egg. Um, and that was well before, you know, Otto placed his daughter in you know, the series is like hard. Um, so, so to me, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think it was this decision made out of a desire for comfort that had these unexpected like consequences. I think his biggest failing as a person is not seeking comfort. It's not making these bad decisions. It is the opting out. It is the being absent in every way. Yeah. See, I, I find that really Like, I, I actually genuinely find it um, interesting that like, the reading of his le your reading of his leadership style is um yeah like is that he's opting out while i kind of i kind of read his leadership style as someone who was like not an overt um so you know he's he's a leadership style where he actually uses the like he he actually values and uses the team around him rather than being like a sort of a top down sort of control everything type of leader um which is why like look i i mean i get it i i get i get your point that like in that situation it was kind of like it seems like otto hightower is taking control but i guess i read it as well he needs the outcome and he's the king and if someone is willing to get you that outcome and to execute your strategy you're not like his view is that i'm not going to get involved and micromanage that person right like that will Anyway, but it's it's pretty interesting, and I'm not saying that your points. I I 100% think that like you make really strong points. Um, I think the stuff around being an absentee father is pretty interesting, right? And and I think the show. Look, I think one of the difficulties of the show is that those kids grow up in the space of two episodes, right? So mm. you don't really see a lot of what is go really going on behind the scenes. You only see... Don't, don't you think that line, Rhaenyra, my only child, uh, if you had any doubt that he was just never present with those kids, 
Um, and I think you can assume that based on the fact that you never, you never see him interacting with them. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I agree. <laughs> look, I, look, I, I, I agree that, like, I, I 100% agree that he shouldn't have married Alison and he shouldn't have had kids with, them, with her, right? Um, like, I feel like this, like that, to be honest, that causes a lot of his woes, right? And, yeah, I, I 100%, like, uh, you know, Whenever I talk to Mags about this, I, I, I think that yeah. But I mean, but but as Mags said, like, it's understandable. I can sympathise with him as a human being, right? I, I guess I'm not as I find him as a sympathetic character overall because the mistakes he he makes are, as Mags said, very human, and the only reason they have such ridiculous repercussions is because of the situation that he's in. And to be to be honest, like some of those choices are like, yes, I mean, I, I think the Allison choice, but like, you know, I think he's, also, he's sympathetic also because there are times when he realizes the situation and he does take, he takes action multiple times, right? To protect the ones that he loves. Um, and, like, to kind of do what he thinks is right in, like, certain key moments, right? Which I think make him a more sympathetic character. Which is why, I guess my point is that he is not a great king um, by any stretch stretch of the imagination. But he's like a... I, I think he's a very sympathetic character, right? But, as I said, I, I think it's, it's probably testament to, um, like, the complexity of the writing of this show that... Like, clearly, you're not the only one, Anija, and you're putting it very eloquently. Um, and, like, you're not the only one who believes that Viserys is an incredibly weak ruler, right? But the fact that on this panel of four, we have varying opinions on this, and clearly, even on the internet, those opinions exist. I think it says a lot about the quality of this show. Jerry, sorry. No, look, I, I agree he, he is a weak ruler. I think, I think Anija is right. He, he, he... 100% correct on, on the substance of every every charge laid, I think, at, at Viserys' feet. Um, but I, I think the the it really is the the, the, the performance um, by Considine um, imbues him with um, a greater you know sort of a, a quality of being far more sympathetic than he than he should be. I, I think I think it's actually. I actually think that's it's a large measure down to that, and I think there's one point that's that, that was never sufficiently explained, explored, and that will probably never be sufficiently explored, given that he's he's going to be exiting stage left. Is you know the fact that there's something about him that 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 feared be they kind of feared being a Targaryen, you know, who who, who disdained the use of, of, of dragons, who didn't really want to. Um, engage in displays of raw power. There was something about him that was fearful of what was running through his own veins. Um, that that was interesting, and unlike so many other sort of, unlike any other Targaryen character we had seen or heard of before. Mm. Um, and I think the combination of that 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 fascinating strain in his character and the performance made him really compelling. Even though he wasn't, you know, even though Considine didn't, doesn't have, you know, Matt Smith's rock star charisma, he was actually an equally compelling character to, 
to watch on screen because of the because of because of the sort of depth of the depth, odd oddly sort of sympathetic character of the performance and the 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 fascinating um, tensions in his character. Hmm. That's a fair point about um, you know how he feels about dragons and that being interesting. Um, my only counter to that would be what authority do does he have to rule if not those dragons? And so the fact that he shies away from those dragons instead of leaning in, by contrast, you know, uh, Rhaenyra is a dragon rider. Um, his children are dragon riders. Um, Damon studies dragons, you know. That is their, and Rhaenyra says it, like the only thing that makes us special is those dragons. And if he, if he doesn't think that it's important to lean into that, then what authority to rule does he have? The only authority that Targaryens have to rule is their relationship with those dragons. So I actually think that being afraid of them, not leaning in, I don't think it's a point in his favour when it comes to is he a good king, is he strong, is he capable? I I don't say it is. I don't say it is. I I don't say it is either, I think. I I know you say that it makes him interesting. And I I think that's that's, that's fine. It doesn't because he also he, he, he just makes him annoying. <laughs> he also because he also he also knows that the Targaryens have, are nothing without the dragons because in the very first episode when he when he's talking to uh, Rhaenyra in the in the bowels of the keep when he first shares with her Aegon the Conqueror's prophecy he, he does he does say something to the effect that what are we but dragons and and this is all a bit of a this is all a bit of a smoke show. Um, a, a bit of a smoke and mirrors um, yes. show that, yeah. that that we've put on uh, that, to make really ourselves does. look look and seem more special than we actually are. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that he knows that is a, is another aspect of his willful blindness. You know, he knows it's important. He's still not going to lean into it. But see, what's what's it, what's, it what's, what's interesting there is basically the way we interpret that, right? Because my interpretation of that is actually, it's like. It's like the nuclear bomb thing that I was talking about, right? He's someone who is fully aware that he is sitting on a bunch of nuclear bombs, but he's very reluctant to deploy the nuclear bombs, right? He's fearful of the bomb's power, and he's reluctant to deploy the bombs. That That's the way I, I read his character, right? Not necessarily that, you know, I hate nuclear bombs. It's just that... He's fully aware oh, that if no, you no, deploys no. the bombs, it's 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 not a it's not a particularly pleasant outcome. Uh, but but the bombs are there and they're being controlled by a whole bunch of other people. So if he, as the king, does not have any control over them, that's not a responsible use of nuclear bombs. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I understand not wanting to use nuclear bombs, but if they are there and you know they're there and you know that they are being controlled by completely different people and you yourself are not going to have one. Well, but I mean, he does largely control most of the dragons, right? No, you can only control your own dragon. He has a dragon. He just doesn't ride the dragon. Oh, no, his dragon died, I think, and then he didn't bond with another dragon. He does not control any dragon that's not bonded to him. Like, a dragon is controlled by its dragon rider or no one else. Mm, Okay, okay. Okay, look, I I think we've had a pretty... um... Max, is there anything else you'd like to say about Viserys, or should we move on? I was just going to say, made me think about that scene where um, that the the second son of Alicent, the the like the guy who's Aymond? like Aymond? Aymond? Aymond, yeah, it's like Damon Junior, 
pretty much. But yeah. when, he, <laughs> when he um when he bonded with yeah Lena Lena's old Vega Vega right Vega Vega whatever yeah yeah and lost an eye um and then he made the point you know to to Alice yeah mum don't mourn me Uh, I lost an eye but I gained a dragon and then the reaction of Otto Hightower was you know what a what an amazing lad what an amazing lad and like actually you know dripping with admiration for it it's quite a it's it was a beautiful contrast I think Yes. Yeah. I mean, Otto Hightower knows what game is being played, right? He does not let emotion and sentimentality get in the way well, of his yeah. his um his desires, right? I mean, well, also that, that see is how important the dragon is, and the series cannot. But I, but I think there's that. But it also shows a beautiful contrast in their personalities and character, right? Where. Um, Viserys is is a deeply emotional person, really, um, and um, Otto Hightower is able to step back from that and think about the game. So it's a very very different character, very different personality. And to be honest, Otto is grooming his daughter in that way as well, right? He's trying yeah. to get his daughter to see the game. I mean, he has that impassioned speech with his daughter, where he basically tries to convince her to get her head in the game, right? Like yeah, it, it does. It's it's almost as if he's he said to her, "If you play the Game of Thrones, you either win or you die." <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, I'm glad he did say that because I think I've said this before. One of the every time Viserys mentions the Song of Ice and Fire, I cringe. I cringe. I wish he would stop talking about that because. Like, yeah, the Song of Ice and Fire <laughs> that we saw in eight seasons of Game of Thrones was crap. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I cr- it feels the worst thing about that sort of stuff when you directly reference the original Game of Thrones is that it feels like a corporate, like, a corporate cross-sell. You know what I mean? Like, the show is desperately start trying to cross-sell itself. It, it just feels dirty. <laughs> it really does. I, I, I like... There's a part of me that even dislikes the fact that this show shares the same theme song as Game of Thrones, right? I, I kind of feel like, you know, if this is going to be a different beast, why are you desperately trying to harken back to the nostalgia of Thrones? Um, yeah, anyway. Um, should we move on from Viserys and have a chat about, I think, the other thing that... Um, seems quite controversial about the show which is the number of time skips and the actor changes as well are you guys sort of concerned by the time skips is it disconcerting for you or does it is it all just seamlessly falling into place um not seamless not seamless but doesn't bother me that much either i can deal with it yeah yeah so when you say like so for me, it was not, it wasn't seamless. But as the episodes go on, because I think the writing is so strong, like I also like I can deal with it. Right? I I feel like I felt like it was really odd last week. Well, the week before last, that you had like a ten week skip, and then sorry, a ten year skip, and then this week we had like another six year skip. It was yeah, it felt like things moved really, really quickly, right? And it was... 
look, I mean, it's weird, but I guess we can deal with it. But the fact that, like, it, with these huge time skips, some characters change so much, and other characters basically, like Chris and Colin Damon, basically don't change at all. But other characters just a complete. Well, I, I guess Otto Hightower doesn't really change either, right? But like, um, I mean, this week it was really odd in the casting, and I don't know if this is like a thing with the books, but like, I found it really. I found the casting of all the kids to be kind of like they kind of all seemed right. They all seemed kind of adolescent, except Eamon, who seemed like a forty-year-old man for some reason. Right? I don't know if it's the eye patch, but he looks super old. He looks so much older than everyone else. And I don't know if it's just like they've decided the character that's going to play Eamon, he's just going to stick around. We're not going to recast him, so we're just going to put him in there. But he was playing against people who genuinely looked like they were kids, right? <laughs> that but, felt weird to me. But I think, but I think, that, I think that was deliberate because we are, we are meant to, to fear Eamon going yeah. forward, aren't we? I mean... He, he set up as oh shit reaction when we see him. That's right. He, yeah. he set up as a sort of he set up as sort of Damon 2.0, but like kind of more evil. Yeah, well, and he's got a knife. <laughs> and, and, and to that to that extent, I think they succeeded. Like he, physically, physically, he, he seems to be out of all the out of all the next generation, the only one who's who's, who's a physical match for Damon. Yeah, I and mean, he beats with the eye patch and the. With the eye patch of this guy, he just looks—he just looks terrifying. Yeah, they make a point of it because he beats Kristen Cole in com- combat, and Kristen Cole beats Damon, right? In the first episode, yeah. Kristen Cole beats Damon, and then in this one, you see them sparring, and he handily defeats Kristen Cole. So yeah, yeah. but I mean, it—it it just there's a part of me that it just—I fe- I get that, but it does feel weird that everyone is so much of an adolescent. Right, I, I thought that they probably would have cast an inter. I don't know if this actor is just going to be Eamon going forward or not, right? Because it, I would have thought that they would have cast an intermediate Eamon as well instead of just going straight to. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is intermediate Eamon, and like the next time we see him, he'll be like. Well, I don't I mean, know. It's, it's, it's pretty hard to imagine too many more time jumps after Viserys dies, given that, I mean, this is going to trigger the, the conflict. And, you know, sort of Aegon and Helena have yeah, children of their own. Good. Yeah, so I, I think I think the the cast is pretty close to being set in stone from here on out. Yeah. So, so okay, I mean, in terms of going forward... Okay, so, Mags, I guess, did were you, were you concerned by the time skip at all, or...? Um, I found it the first um, that first episode where they introduced the new cast members for Alicent and Rhaenyra. Um, it, that was a bit difficult, but the next couple of episodes, I think I've gotten used to it. I, I don't know if I could deal with another massive ten-year time skip. Um, the reason for that is, I mean, there are other shows that do it, like The Crown, for example. Um, but you have a whole season with the same cast, and then the next season is a new cast, um, and it's understood that it's sort of the next decade. I think it's the fact that it was within the same season that was a little bit, yeah, difficult to take. But yeah. But that's okay. It's a minor point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, to be honest, I, I think that the younger actors who did Alicent and Rhaenyra were really good, like really, really good, right? Which is why... Like I guess it was for me, it was a little bit 
sad yeah. to see them depart the series, right? I think that's actually mm. part of the reason too, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that the new Rhaenyra and Alicent aren't good, but th- they do feel like different characters, which they should because they've matured and it's like 10 to 16 years down the down the line. But yeah, I, I guess it was sad. I mean, you think about, I, I guess the comparison we have was the or- original Thrones and the original Thrones basically had the same people running for like seven years or whatever, right? And so, you know, you kind of got to like, I guess the actors kind of became part of that sort of story. Um, but yeah, I, I guess, I guess, look, I mean, from a story perspective, this makes sense, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what else? What else? Do you guys, how, how many seasons do you think this thing is actually going to run for? Uh, look, I, I haven't read. Dance. I think three, but it depends on where, it depends on how far they're going to take it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's generations of story, um, as far as the Targaryens go. How far do they want to go down that path? Oh, so you think it's going to go beyond beyond the Dance of Dragons? Um, I didn't initially, but it's going so fast, and I can really only see one season of one season more of um, story if we stick to just the Dance of Dragons. So I wonder if they're leaving themselves open to keep going beyond that. Mm. One, maybe two, if you really stretch it out. But I, I don't see more than one. But you know, who knows? Because how many, how many episodes is this season? Do, does anyone ten. Know? It, it's it's ten. So there are two more left. Yeah. Okay. Um, so look, you, you, yeah, look, they may not be able to milk more out of it, but there's certainly a lot more of the universe to be mined from. Um, so, you know, the, you hear rumors of um, the green light being given to a post Thrones. Jon Snow show. Oh, God, uh, please don't. don't please do don't. Don't do um, it. And I think oh, they may even the go back... idea. I think they may <laughs> even go back further further in time to... Jesus uh, Christ. To do, ...to do the Doom of Valeria. I just bought Warner oh. Brother Discovery shares. Can they not do the Jon Snow show? I want the shares to go up, not down. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would watch the Doom of Valeria. I would watch that. Yeah, I would. I mean, I think the Doom yeah, of Valeria, like anything post season eight of Game of Thrones, is just like I don't want to go there because that's all fan fiction territory, as far as I'm concerned, right? Um, but I, I think I think though that we have to reconcile ourselves to the notion that that is ultimately going to be canon because George is never going to finish those books. So whilst whilst they have the character of fan fiction, they are also going to be canonical. Um, no, and... only George can make canon, Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> you can't write the Bible. You can't be like, well, the Bible is here, so I'm just going to make up some stuff, and now that's going to be like canon. No. <laughs> but like the thing is, though, you know, if you if you're gonna if you're gonna be you know the arbiter of what is canonical, you've actually got to do the job. And the fact of the matter is. You know, he is, I mean, I, I don't know what he's, you know, he's sort of devoting his, a lot of time to, to this show, House of the Dragon. He's devoting almost no time, I imagine, to, to the books. He's written himself into a corner that he can't get out of. 
And I think he's decided, you know, sort of in terms of the song and ice and fire cycle of novels to cut his losses and run and, uh, hope and, and, and hope that no one notices that this thing <laughs> remains unfinished. <laughs> well, then maybe he should tell his bloody shows to stop mentioning the song of ice and fire every two yeah, seconds, look, I, right? I think, I think that's stupid. I think that's stupid. And I, I, I hate the, I hate the, I hate the mention of it as well, but not, not for this, probably not for the same, well, for a similar reason to you, Daz. It's, I, I don't hate it because it's a sort of corporate tie-in. I hate it because, you know, when he mentioned Song of Ice and Fire, we I'm sure the showrunners wanted to think, oh, no, the, you know, sort of, oh, it's, you know, the prophecy, it's coming. This is, you know, big deal. It links to the world of Game of Thrones. But the fact is that the actual Song of Ice and Fire itself was so, like, rubbish that, you know... <laughs> exactly. You know, this, this threat that they thought was coming was just lame because it was just some ice dude who could be stat, right? And you're like... Mm. <laughs> exactly. Why? Why bother at all? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, look. I, I think what I just said w- would be intriguing, right? If they just decide to just do further Targaryen stories down the line. I don't know if Fat George has written more. I imagine he just continues to procrastinate the actual like Song of Ice and Fire just continues to write this Yeah, crap, but like, right? you know, fi- Fire and Blood is the story of the Targaryen family from, I, I, I think, the Doom of Valeria right through to um, Mad King Viserys. So... Is it, um, is it really a, a full history of the Targaryen? I, I think there's a, there's a lot of material to mine out of um, out of all that. So, you know, I think, you know, sort of, if, if the show's, if this show is a hit, um, then, um, and if if only to keep ahead of Amazon Prime, I can imagine HBO greenlighting the further adventures of the Targaryen family um, well into the never ever. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I think, yeah. Look, I mean, I-, I think, honestly, like, they've done pretty well with this show, right? Like, the-, the fact that I'm kind of back on board with this show is, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I did not expect me to be back on board for like this sort of Game of Thrones Westeros universe thing but yeah like it's they've done pretty well the, the whoever is like producing or like leading the development of this show like whoever's in charge of that writer's room like they've got they've got chops here right like this is it's like a pretty interesting it's well written it's a pretty sophisticated series so yeah, as long as they keep those guys and, like, make sure that D&D are 100% out of the room, I think it's... Yeah, I think I think there's there's room to play here. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about? Jerry, Anja, Mags? Anything that's burning on your mind about dragons that you kind of want to <laughs> discuss? I don't know. That was terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, anything else? Nothing for me. Okay. Well, look, I, I'm not sure we're going to do podcasts about this show weekly. Um, but yeah, we, we may do... I mean, there's only two more episodes left in this season, right? So we might come back in a couple of weeks and do a season roundup. See see where, mm. the, see where this ends up getting. Like, I'll be mm. honest, I, I found it really interesting that, like, I genuinely thought that they would make the end of the season the beginning of the Dance of Dragons, right? But, <laughs> yeah, like, it, 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 there's just, like, weird sort of, like, sort of structuring of this series where 
I mean, technically, the Dance of Dragons begins immediately. Look, I haven't read the book. I mean, Anage is the only one who's actually looking at the source material, right? So, technically, the Dance of Dragons begins immediately after Viserys' death, right? Mm, so yeah. they're going to start it and then kind of just leave it there before the second I season. I think they need to end the season on something super dramatic. And Viserys' death by itself without the dance starting is dramatic. Yeah, okay. So, okay, I mean, as someone who knows the source material, right, what do you think they're going to end? What's the next big thing that they're going to end this season on? I think Are maybe... You... Oh, well, that'd be a spoiler, wouldn't it? Spoiler, man. Oh, mate, this is a spoilers podcast. <laughs> I mean, the book is <laughs> out there, right? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what happens. I literally don't know what happens next. So, oh, really? Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, so, keeping, so to I've protect... Myself, uh, I've been keeping myself clean for, oh, really? for all that stuff. Yeah. Wow, that's discipline, mate. Discipline, when you can read, actually read the story online right now, but... Okay. Look. Maybe, maybe with some crown, like someone being crowned king or queen, and someone else uh, <laughs> gathering forces to uh, challenge. Oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? I love, I love how you're trying to be vague. <laughs> That could be anything, though. That could be either side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> someone, someone, someone gets made a king, and then someone is unhappy about Challenges. it. There, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's like when uh, it's like when the that great the great um, election analyst um, Charles McCarris once said, "Look, in terms of predicting this election, I, I, I predict that the the outcome will be somewhere on the spectrum between a landslide to the Liberals and a landslide to Labor." <laughs> Okay, on that note, we we won't do any more spoilers. We'll probably come back when this season is over and we'll have a chat about it. Look, thank you very much, everyone, for having a pretty robust discussion about House of the Dragon. It was really interesting and um, really entertaining, actually. So thanks so much for joining me, everyone. And um, yeah, say goodnight and we'll see everyone soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.